This is Purplish from CPR News. Redistricting is a snapshot, a freeze frame that captures who lives where in the state right now. And just like comparing family photos from one big milestone to the next, it can also really show how a place, how a community has changed. In this installment of our series on what redistricting means for Colorado, Andrew Kenny takes us on a trip through the Denver area to see how changes in Latino neighborhoods and cities may be reflected in the new maps and in Colorado's politics. This story about Latino political power in Colorado is one about communities and how they change all across the state on a scale of decades. But we're going to start in a really specific place that actually feels like it hasn't changed that much. really good. I didn't know that they had those The place is a bakery called Panateria Rosales, and it's on 32nd Avenue in Denver, near a brewery and co-working space and new condo builds. It's basically surrounded by all the signifiers of gentrification. The bakery has thrived here for nearly 50 years. Inside, you'll find racks of dried spices, an old Dr. Pepper machine, and of course, piles of sweets waiting in glass-fronted cases. Yeah, they're called conchas. It's this bright, big, you know, pink. (laughs) Sofia Vargas stopped in about the same time that I did. She'd come to buy the conchas that her son has loved since he was little. Sugar-coated pastry. Delicious. They go fast. They go, especially when they're fresh. This is a family-owned business that goes way back. My auntie is the owner now. My, the original owner is my grandfather. There's a picture of him up there. That's Javier Rosales, and he's pointing to an old newspaper photograph clipped up above the kitchen. Okay, his name was Jose Rosales. They called him Pecas, which is freckles uh, in English. And him and my grandmother, they passed away... In the 90s. Javier will tell you that he is a Denver native. And actually, he grew up in the apartment right above the bakery. I live with my grandmother. She'd have us come down and, uh, you know, get her Pepsis, bread, whatever she wanted, eggs, you know, just anything. And from that apartment, Javier watched a neighborhood that was predominantly and proudly Latino as it became a greater political force. I was actually a little guy. I was upstairs looking out the window and, you know, this big group of of people came marching down 32nd Avenue, you know, they had Corky, they had uh, Sandoval. And at the time, I didn't know these guys were, you know, big figures. They knew my grandfather, you know, so I, I watched pretty much the Chicano movement march down 32nd to downtown during the walkouts. Those guys, they were people like Corky Rodolfo Gonzalez and Paul Sandoval. They fought inequities and racism, especially in education, and they wanted to make a distinct cultural and political identity. We started sending people to the state house, Latinos from this neighborhood, Chicanos is what we called ourselves. And they became lifetime leaders from the community. Back in the day, Rosemary Rodriguez was out in the streets with the movement, and she ended up in local politics, serving time as a Denver councilwoman and city clerk. That word she used, Chicano, it describes a culture really rooted in the Southwest. Some people say that the border crossed them because their families go so far back in the places now known as Colorado, New Mexico, Arizona, and many other places in the Southwest. And beyond the history, the Chicano identity is inherently linked to politics and self-determination. Well, it's self-identification. It isn't a name that the census came up with or that the government came up with. It's how we chose to identify. So I think it represents personal agency. And Rosemary Rodriguez said that when the community won political representation, 
Concrete changes followed, like medians and trees on busy Federal Boulevard, which, north to south, runs through a historically Latino part of town. And it was just such a joy because it showed what all the years of advocacy for the improvements on Federal resulted in. Today, Denver's west and northwest side is almost entirely represented by Latino politicians, seven out of eight seats in city and state government. But as anyone who's spent much time in Denver knows, this is one of the fastest changing parts of the city. And by change, I mean gentrification. This neighborhood is ripe to be gentrified. So I went for a drive recently with Amanda Sandoval. She represents this part of town on Denver City Council. And when I asked her how the neighborhood is changing, she pointed to something kind of surprising and really specific. Sidewalks. So you see there's no sidewalks there. And that's a new house and then it has sidewalks. Sidewalks um, are one way you can see the contrast between old Denver and new Denver. And then you can see lots of cars there, no sidewalks. Historical, probably lived there for a long time, generational, generational. Sandoval's own family is one of those generational ones. You see sidewalks. And then you see no sidewalk from Tijon to Pecos. Where you Her dad, see- Paul Sandoval, was one of the area's first Latino state senators. Her stepmom, Paula, was also a senator and a councilwoman. And now she represents the same area, but a much different constituency as new residents, many white and many affluent, have arrived. I think that most people are drawn here because they want to make it their home. And home is where the heart is, right? And so I always start with that common denominator. And so... What I attempt to do is I attempt to teach them the history of this neighborhood and how important reflective representation is. Much of Northwest Denver was once 70 plus percent Latino. Now, the Senate district for this area is estimated to be about 40 percent Latino residents. And depending on where the final lines are drawn for redistricting, which neighborhoods stay in this district, which neighborhoods move to the adjoining ones, that number could drop even further. To have less than 30 percent of a historically Latino population, it's going to just, it's going to change the the policies that you bring forward because the policies come from the people, right? That points to a big question for the commission. What is the right number to ensure that a community like Latinos in Northwest Denver or any other group of people around the state can actually influence their districts? I don't know what the magic number is. Is it 5%? Is it 45%? Is it 55%? Is it 100%? I don't know. That is for the commissioners to decide what the right number is. But I really do hope that they are thoughtful and considerate as they are drawing these maps. Senator Julie Gonzalez ran to represent this area in 2018. That year, four of Denver's Latino state lawmakers were terming out on the west and north sides. And with gentrification in full swing, it wasn't clear who would replace them. You know, each of us in our races... We're the only candidates of color. All four of those Latino candidates won their primaries, which in this heavily Democratic area is really all that matters. To see all of us emerge as the Democratic nominees was really affirming of the fact that um, that our constituents here in Denver wanted to see diverse representation, that they wanted to see leadership um, that was reflective of the diversity of Colorado. I was really proud, (laughs) I cried. But what happens when those new representatives reach their own term limits in five years? I talked about that with Rudy Gonzalez. He's the son of Jorge Gonzalez, and he runs a statewide nonprofit called Servicios de la Raza. He says that after decades of work, Latino representation in Colorado is at its peak right now. The 14 who are now 
in the Senate and House, we finally start to really see that our numbers are starting to reflect our demographic numbers in the state and the city. But he's afraid that that might change soon, at least in Denver. So as our elders, in which I'm one now, uh, continue to die off, if the kids aren't uh, going to stay there, you can't convince them to stay there if they want to sell because it's a windfall for them. Uh, you know, it's their prerogative. You know, that, 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 that will hurt us, right, in terms of having representation there in Northwest Denver. And redistricting could amplify that change. Dense urban districts often see some of the biggest changes because moving a border even a few blocks, losing Latino neighborhoods along Federal Boulevard, for example, can significantly change the district's makeup. That has people like State Representative Adrian Benavidez watching the whole process really closely and kind of skeptically. So as maps are prepared, they should not be prepared where they dilute the strength of minority groups at all. She thinks the commissions may be leaning toward other priorities like creating competition rather than preserving racial and ethnic voting blocks. And we have 12 commissioners on each of the two commissions who intentionally have not been actively involved in this aspect of of politics. And so they are truly drinking from a fire hose. She's also concerned about whether the U.S. Census, which was conducted under the Trump administration, actually got accurate data about where Latino people are living. There's evidence that a lot of people didn't respond. But we do know, in broad strokes, that while some Latinos are leaving Denver, they're not leaving Colorado. You know, there are many people of color that have been pushed out of those neighborhoods, primarily because of real estate issues. But people stay together. We've had, as Latinos, probably, um, if they have been priced out of Denver or can't uh, keep their homes, they move to Adams County or Lakewood, a little bit to Aurora, but not as much. Uh, So the communities stay together wherever they are. Benavides herself lives halfway between northwest Denver, where people are leaving, and the northern suburbs, where many are ending up. So I kept going in that direction to talk to people about what population growth may mean for Latino political organizing and power after redistricting. In half a mile, arrive at Commerce City. Next stop was Commerce City and the home of Teresa Bustos Ortega. She's on the CU Library staff, and I found her because she actually wrote into the commissions about the importance of giving her city's diverse voters a strong voice in state politics. Just a little patch of grass, and that tree there is Maria. That's named after my mother. <laughs> we sat in her backyard, which is beautifully landscaped and ruled over by a single magnificent blue spruce tree. From New Mexico, and she's about 38 years old. Maria the tree came from a family ranch in New Mexico, and Ortega's kind of amazed that it's done so well here. The neighborhood can be hot, not many trees, and a lot of pavement. First planet, or my kids could jump over it. I'm telling you about the tree because it it was charming, but also because it shows how long Ortega has spent living in and thinking about this community. As a teen, she too was involved in protests for the Chicano movement, but she had to travel to get to them. And I'm 15 years old, and I'm worth hitchhiking to Boulder because that's where all the action was at for the protests and whatnot and giving them our support and we're just little. Decades later, it's a very different landscape. With Latino families moving into Adams County, she sees a new community taking shape around her. You can see it through uh, the stores, the restaurants. 
the colors of the houses. The areas had an influx, not just of people moving from Denver, but also those who have recently immigrated from Mexico and other places like Central America. She really likes the changes they've brought, like a new grocery store. You'll find chili there, you'll find mole there, you'll find, um, you know, corn tortillas. The Mexican-American culture of many of the city's new residents is different than the one that her family traces to northern New Mexico. But Ortega says they share political concerns, especially the need to fight for better education. Because I think we still haven't moved forward. She says Um, there's still a lot of work to be done to get people politically active. And she understands that for many families, the first challenge is just keeping food on the table. I feel that the problem with uh, Hispanics is that they're in survival mode. So they, how can they, how can they be involved in politics when you're trying to put food on the table? There's no way. But she's optimistic. I see a powerhouse growing, and I can't wait. I'm just happy. And there is a new generation of Latino politicians that's just getting started here. Jose Guardiola is an at-large city councilman for Commerce City. Both of his parents grew up in Mexico. He was born in Wyoming. He considers himself Chicano, and he ran for the job in part to represent the diversity within the Latino population. And I was like, you know, I need to represent them because I live in two worlds. The census says that this area is about half Hispanic, an ethnicity that overlaps with much of the Latino population. But as he started campaigning, Guardiola worried about how he would be perceived. One of the thoughts was like, man, my name is straight Mexican, right? Jose Guardiola. Who's going to say that name, first of all, my last name? But then I remember my culture and my pride. I'm like, well, they're going to have to learn it. That has not turned out to be an issue. He's now the latest of several Latino council members and state lawmakers from Commerce City. But Guardiola says that representation in the Denver suburbs has lagged behind the true size of the community. Part of the broader challenge is geographic. Families and friends and political influence can get a lot more spread out as people move into more suburban areas. And to organize in such a vast area is a lot harder because you're expand, you're extending it. You know, this person over here needs might be different from this person. And it's hard to get the similarities so they could organize compared to like the north side of Denver where gentrification was hitting hard, right? And if it turns out Latino populations are getting more dispersed as they move out of the city, it could also mean they'll be diluted into lots of majority white districts. One thing I heard from every Latino politician in this story is that they didn't run just to represent Latinos. They work for all of their constituents. The issues State Senator Julie Gonzalez, for instance, has spent her first term on, like affordable housing, are pretty universal. What an honor and what a huge obligation and responsibility, you know? But she says representation still matters, even or especially in parts of the city and the state that are changing so fast. There's so many times where, like, I don't even realize the impact that I am having just by being who I am authentically as a Chicana lawmaker. And then, like, a middle school uh, student will leave me a note that will just really remind me of the importance of representation. Of like, oh, thank you, Senadora, for coming and talking to my class. Um, That was really important. I've never seen anybody talk to me in Spanish before or talk to me and uh, recognize my neighborhood before.
Gonzalez's district could see some of the most significant changes from redistricting. But when she looks at the years ahead, she believes there will always be a Latino, a Chicano community here on Denver's north side. One that'll remain a force in state politics, no matter where the lines fall. Purplish is a production of member-supported Colorado Public Radio. Learn about becoming a member and join today at CPR.org. I'm Caitlin Kim. This story was reported and written by Andrew Kenny. We'll be back in your feed Wednesday with the next episode in our redistricting season. I'll hit the road to learn what ties together the proposed new 8th district and the reasons some want to tear it apart. That's next time on Purplish from CPR News.